Hello and welcome everyone back to the Basic Block Hiring Podcast. My name is Gina Sikorsky-Mitchell and this is once again where we are having the business conversation for hiring individuals with developmental disabilities. So I want to pick up where we left off. Uh, The first podcast was really about introducing myself, some of the ideas and a lot of those ideas stem from things that I was seeing either gaps or needs or things we could potentially fix or problems. And one of the things that I've found very important in a lot of my advocacy, parenting, business career is not just to identify issues, but to also come up with some solutions, things that can be discussed. So that's what I want to do here in the second podcast. And then Moving forward, we're going to go on with having interviews and inviting different people's advocacy leaders, legislators, community leaders, educators, administrators into the conversation so we can really just hear from all points and all the spokes within our village, like we talked about in the first podcast. Here we are talking about employment and individuals with developmental disabilities. One of the catchphrases I hear in business on different articles, interviews, posts, it talks about building a bridge, being the bridge between individuals with disabilities and the communities or the business or whatever it is they're connecting. There's a piece of this that always comes to mind. And I say to myself, well, What's the definition to that bridge? And I think maybe that's where we can start, or I'd like to start really, is saying, let's define that bridge together. And that's something that I'd like to do within this platform in the podcast to say, what is needed? Because right now we are defining what is necessary, all of the, say, wood planks to that bridge. So let's bring in individuals with disabilities. Let's bring in all the different pieces You know, the education, the employment, the therapies, the community leaders, the parents. Let's talk about all of those different planks in that bridge that are going to get that individual with a developmental disability connected into the either it's the general community, maybe it's their their office space, the employer, the program that they're in. So what I want to do is. And my mindset thinks that we really need to be incorporating kind of what we know about special education, terminology, practices, process, and bring in then the employment pieces, the practices, process, terminology on both sides, and utilize both of those so that it is a nice, more seamless transition in our definition of what it means for someone to go from special education someone who has an intellectual developmental disability, a cognitive delay, if you will, going from that to transitioning to the employment field, into employment, the office space. Maybe it's a restaurant, maybe it's a store. So it doesn't necessarily have to be in a office setting. It might be, but we have to talk about what skill set that individual has. And that's a key word, I think. And one of the things that I want to really focus on because I think it is is kind of a pivot for us. It's an opportunity for us to really talk about defining or redefining special education expectations. If you think about it, education as a whole is really about teaching people, our students, skill sets that they then 
are able to hone, identify what they're good at, you know, what comes naturally to them, what they have to work harder for when they're working harder, finding those different strategies and processes. And then they have the opportunity in the school system to go to honors, to AP. Maybe they go to Votech. Maybe there's a technology-based program. Those are That's a whole continuum of opportunity just within education for a student, a typical developing student. So we have this phrase, right? You hear in advocacy, it's a special education is not a place. And that's really someone standing up saying when they're asking for more. If we could be honest for a second, in my opinion, special education is a place because it's all that it exists, special education. There is no opportunity for a student, a person who has a developmental disability in their education to have any continuum of offering. I understand that there are resources, there's a cost allocation concern, there's budgetary issues, there's personnel, there's we're asking for individualization. At the same time, if you think about it, Am I just supposed to be happy that my daughter can go to school? Heck yeah, I'm happy. Don't get me wrong. However, I feel like we've kind of disregarded what we know works, what we've created for typically developing students, and have created this nice little place for an individual who has a developmental disability. I fully understand that. There are many things that are taken into consideration, money, time, personnel to just at the top three of the list. At the same time, maybe, maybe, because we're talking about inclusion, we're integrating community programs or ideas where typical developing students are engaging in the special education classroom, or maybe we can take some facilities that we have and create vocational programs, VOTEC programs, you know, as kind of that and for employment skill-based opportunities, instead of saying, hey, Mr. Employers, we need you to do X feel like we need to build and define that bridge in the transition years, say 18 to 21, and create some sort of a expected, documented, use all of the research that we have and create different options. Create a, I don't know, create a repository. There are so many programs across the country. Maybe it's just a one-off in a school system. They're doing some really amazing things. What if we collected data about those different programs. What if we then looked at the data and we used it and we created replicable systems to be shared? It just seems logical to me. I don't know. Is that too simple? Maybe at the higher level, I understand there would be a lot of work involved in it, but it seems like there's so much individualization going on that no one's capturing it from a data perspective. Think about what we use data for in the industry that's booming. My employment history has been in the digital media industry since 2009 with a firm that I am a co-owner of. That industry, talking about from going to selling online advertising, and now we're talking about data science, machine learning, algorithms, AI. What if we took 
what is it, the 1.97 million students who are in special education, there's a significant amount of data about what they need. And if we could harness that data, think about what we could do as far as supporting, because that's their voice. I understand we have to protect their identity and there's a massive vulnerability online identity component to this. However, that data in their needs, if we could harness it and really look at root cause, core needs, you know, target age groups, we could really focus school budgets. We could focus community resources. We could talk to corporations and say, look, this population, here's a big gap. Maybe it's communication. Maybe it's not an actual skill set per se from an employment perspective, but there is the gap. Maybe it's a communication gap. Is it a technology gap? Is it fine-tuned, very specific technology gap? Is it something physical? There's so many things that we could accelerate the way in which we are providing for providing tools for this population to take care of themselves and to do for themselves. If we could just listen to their needs and find a way to utilize that data. I don't know what that is, but I think about it a lot and I get really excited about it because it just seems like there's so much opportunity. and. If you take it a step further, isn't that really a a data category? No, we talk about the soccer mom. We talk about the working mom. We talk about the small business owner. We talk about all these categories of consumer. Well, the disability community consumes products in a very specific way for certain products and services. There's value. The way things work is there's a supply, there's demand. There's demand. We need to really be able to harness the supply. It shouldn't have to be that you come from a more affluent middle-class family area demographic to be able to access services or products or knowledge of how to provide for your child who has a developmental disability. But the reality is it's so fragmented. There's so much information. There's so much to learn about your child, about what they need. We need to find a platform or a way in which to provide that information in a more consumable fashion. And what we have is data to do that. So I think if we can redefine or define special education expectations, that could really be a roadmap in our business plan to serve individuals with developmental disabilities from birth through 21, through transition, through 21, through adult services, to employment, et cetera. There's also something that I think about, and I realize I can't change large systems on my own. So I have these ideas that I just love to talk about them. And I think that when I talk with different individuals, yes, I can see it. I talk to someone, I have a friend who's in estate planning. We talk about things as it relates to individuals with disabilities and the the environment. And we get these really cool conversations going, but she doesn't have a child with a developmental disability, but we're having a 
very intellectual, kind of thoughtful, meaningful conversation. And we're educating each other. And one of the things I think about or we hear about when you're trying to get frustrated, right? Like I can't change things that I don't control. We all know that, right? Like we learned on the pandemic, like it's very frustrating. It's paralyzing. It's, it consumes you or your body, your mind. It affects you from inside out, top to bottom. But there's so much research that, and one of the things that has come up that I think is really important that we maybe take this as a way we're going to approach this. And one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast is we can't control everything. But if there's some change that we want to create, we can't make someone else change, but we can change what we're doing. And fundamentally, if we change the way we are traditionally and historically interacting, the other side has to change. So think about it from this perspective. If we change employment, the way we're going to approach this for individuals with disability, if we come at it and we say, we're going to change employment. We're going to change it because we have to. We want to employ these people. It, it, we see the value. We see, we've looked at some of the, the research that has been put out there about hiring individuals with disabilities and how it affects morale, how it improves culturally the business and how they are productive, contributing members of their workforce. If we change it from that perspective and we define it where the money is, Special education has to change, doesn't it? That's the way that I see it. And it makes logical sense to me. So I think we need to maybe look outside of our little, our head is so far down because like I said, there is so much to learn on a daily basis when you are parent, guardian, or caregiver of an individual with a disability, especially when it comes to adult services. And I think we need to take that into consideration. And be mindful of that. And at the same time, create changes in a non-typical fashion. Be a non-linear thinker. It's really where the way my mind goes. It's not one step that is logical after another. Sometimes I think like I have a speech bubble above my head and all the words are up there and all the different ideas. And sometimes it's easy if we start talking about these things, it's like pulling down ideas out of the speech bubble and then then aligning them in the way we're making connections. And that's really why I wanted, you know, this podcast exists. And it kind of goes back to the name. So basic block hiring is something that I wanted to name this company because it's really about us going back to the basics of what we know, the basics of hiring and employment. And the basics of education, they have to somehow merge together. We have to define a way for them to be parallel or intertwined, interconnected. And my grandmother, Nana, Edith Sikorsky, taught special education for 23 years. One of the things I remember growing up, I don't know, maybe I was eight, nine, 10, maybe I was, I would go on field trips with her. And she took her class. It was really predominantly more of a home economics class. So what, that's in like the 1970s, maybe early 80s. And I'd go on field trips with them to the zoo or wherever. But what I also remember is my grandmother making these patterns. So she sewed. 
I mean, this was a long time ago. She lived in, I grew up in Pennsylvania and she was a sewer. She would sew clothing. She would sew our, some of dresses for us. So she would sew dresses for our dolls that would match our dresses. And we would go to the store and buy patterns and then we'd look at the patterns. So I look at, and I think about the way she would make, and I remember seeing things that she would create for special education and it was home economics based and they would be patterns of process. That's how she created things for measuring, for working in the kitchen, for cutting, for whatever they were putting together. And I remember also her saying, Gina, these kids are educable. I don't, I mean, is educable even a word? Certainly not used now, but I take that to heart and all kids are educable. And she was of the generation of driving forth the idea that these kids could learn. And I wanted to think about what we were doing and how there was this disconnect. And when I think about it, education or employment, it's a pattern. A lot of what we do is a, is, is a pattern, like a pattern in a, that comes from the fabric store. You know, you can get the pattern where it's a dress. There are fundamental pieces to it, the front, the back, the sleeve, the pant. And then the excess is the ruffle. Or maybe, you know, it's different trim, or maybe it's a longer skirt. Maybe it's a long sleeve instead of a short sleeve. Maybe, you know, there's different ways that you can embellish the actual clothing item or the, whatever it is you're making. Maybe it's a bag. Maybe I don't know. But I think that what we need to think about is this hiring process for individuals with disabilities, intellectual disabilities, like a pattern. We can't just create something brand new. And we can't create it just for them because the reality is we have a pattern. We already have something that works. There is an employment industry. We have to go back and look at the basics of employment. Take the front, the back, the pant, the sleeve. Do the same in the education, in the world of education. I mean, billion-dollar industry of education. We have an enormous amount of research. We know what works for education. There are... There's curriculum, it's constantly changing. There's hiring practices. We need to not completely find something brand new and completely individualized. We need to really think about what works for the basics of education and then individualize them. So that's why I say we talk about autonomous motivation and let's incorporate those key fundamental things about childhood development. We talk about math. How many times has your child told you, why do I have to learn this? I'm never going to use this again. Did you ever use this? You're talking about geometry or calculus or trigonometry. My kids ask me, I say, well, no, but you still have to learn it. What they're learning are problem-solving strategies and techniques. Across the board, that's what our kids are learning in school, I believe. So let's go back to the basics of what we know about education. Let's go back to the basics of what we know about childhood development. Let's hold on to those and individualize and define the bridge to what we know about the basics for employment. And let's make that the business conversation because we need to do something. We can't just say, oh, great, we just helped them. We gave them a place to learn. We gave them a new book. We gave them a new technology to 
communicate better. We need to look at it holistically and how it all works together because the lifespan, as we have talked about, or as I've talked about the last time, our kids are living longer. They're living more productive lives. They are having meaningful experiences because we've expanded education in a way that, you know, they are connecting with the community. To have that drop off, like you fall off a cliff when they leave the school system, it's a real concern because they're still alive. And if we don't create opportunity for our community, which is inclusive of these individuals with developmental disabilities, it's going to hurt all of us. It is hurting all of us. And I think we need to take into account all of the different pieces of this kind of wheel. Like I talk about the spokes. We need to think about education. We need to look at the childhood development. We need to look at the community-based programs. We need to look at the local employers. We need to talk about skill sets. We need to not just look at their ability to, I don't know, make your bed, put your laundry away, fold it, vacuum the floor, personal hygiene. Because if we just focus on that stuff and we stop it there and say, well, they can't do that, so they can't do anything else, you'd miss the fact that my daughter can whip out a Google slide presentation and create something on her own because she's trying to be industrious. It would negate the fact that she knows how to manipulate YouTube and online accounts when I intentionally shut them down on the TV because I'm trying to have parent controls and she knows how to finds every loophole and knows how to correct all of the things that I shut down so she can watch what she wants to watch. She can create Instagram accounts. She knows how to edit videos. She's creating iMovies with captions and and music overlays better than I know how to. But she still needs one-on-one assistance with some of those personal hygienes or prompts, shall we say. She still needs care and supervision almost 24-7. So we need to look at the whole kid. And I think if we do that, we can truly make a difference. And that's why we're here. And we're going to do it together because we are a village. So thank you. I look forward to the next podcast where we will have an interview. And once in a while, you know, if there's a new topic or something that we need to clarify, we'll do a little bit of this one-on-one. I'm really excited that you're here. Thank you for listening. This is Gina Sikorsky-Mitchell with the Basic Block Hiring Podcast.